Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, Honky, and I'm pleased to welcome back to the show Jeffrey the Greek from Eyes on Big Podcast. How are things going for you, Jeffrey? Well, I'd be lying if I said things were going great, Honky, but I'm happy to be on the pod. Yeah, well, let's do something a little different here this episode, something we haven't really done before. I'm going to hand part of the co-hosting duties over to, to you. And I don't want this to be a typical interview, me asking you questions. I want this to be a back-and-forth discussion, talking about what the current state of the Big Ten Conference is, uh, what we've seen over the past couple weeks, and what the future holds, short and long-term. Just a quick refresher, Redcasters, about Jeffrey. He's a lifelong Big Ten supporter, a a former Hawkeye player, legacy, and a fan who's now co-host of a conference-focused podcast, The Eyes on Big, alongside Big Kurt, who is an Illinois fan. So I want to start off, Jeffrey, with a tweet that you posted on August 19th. And I think this kind of helps sum up the the feelings that a lot of people have. You said, anyone that knows me understands how much I have loved the Big Ten. But now I am flat out embarrassed by this league. And I believe Kevin Warren and these presidents will absolutely destroy this once proud conference. I think that's a pretty good place to start from, don't you? Yeah. um, You can feel the uh, emotion coming through that, that tweet, I think. Uh, just I'm going to preface this real quick. Uh, Big Kurt and I did record a podcast finally last night. So if anybody checks out uh, that podcast as well, there's going to be a little redundancy here probably. So I apologize for that. But uh, we joked on the podcast that we recorded last night that you shouldn't go grocery shopping when you're hungry because it, it leads to bad things that you wouldn't typically buy. And maybe the same thing could also be said about recording podcasts or sending out tweets when you're emotional like that you should probably (laughs) avoid it but you know at that time that was the you know the visceral reaction I had some of that anger has dissipated over time but I can assure you there is still quite a bit of animosity I have to this day well let's kind of go through the timeline a little bit and I'm sure listeners that have listened to our show and other ones I mean we know the timeline well but just over the course of the last couple weeks, uh, two weeks ago on Tuesday, that's when the Big Ten made the decision that we were not going to play uh, fall football. That was quickly followed by the Pac-12. And I think as we're going to get to the assumption that Kevin Warren and a number of the other uh, presidents and chancellors, not all though, but I think that a number of them thought that the other Power Five conferences would follow suit. I got to say, from a pure PR standpoint, especially since Kevin Warren sent out his follow-up letter, which was a week ago Wednesday, the Big Ten has just looked terrible. They've been taking shots left and right, many deservingly so. And I want to give a little bit of uh, some credit to some local media that we have here. Uh, Jack Mitchell had a radio interview with Chancellor Green the same day, like literally within minutes of Commissioner Warren's letter being released. And Green, for the first time from any of the administrators who are actually on the votes, said that there was a vote and that there was no consensus. 
Over the weekend, Sam McEwen of the Omaha World Herald, he interviews Moose, athletic director Moose, who said that all 14 ADs were unanimous in wanting football, but that they were in silos away from the presidents with only Warren being their representative at that level. So it shows the dissension within leadership at a number of the schools, not at Nebraska, though. And I think this is something that we have in common with Iowa. I think Nebraska and Iowa are two of those schools that basically have had that consensus of leadership from top to bottom. They've been a full go. Yeah, I think you're dead on. You know, what it basically boils down to is it's a confluence of conspiracies that we're all left with here. Whether it's coming from a, a sports writer, just somebody on Twitter, whatever, everybody's coming up with theories and, and what went wrong. And the reason all of that stuff is happening is because of the utter lack of communication and transparency from Kevin Warren the Big Ten. I, I mean, if things were clearly stated, even if we didn't agree on them, which I, I guarantee we wouldn't have, but if there was at least a clear, concise reason why what happened happened, there'd be less of this conspiracy theories and stuff. We, we would be focusing on whatever that reason was, but we don't have that. So what we're left with is this, and we're all grasping at straws trying to figure out what the heck is going on. That whole thing I just said right there, that's the biggest issue. I'd mentioned the local media, but even national media. Uh, Teddy Greenstein talked with Kevin Warren and said of their decision to postpone football, quote, it was completely mishandled. It was botched. Kevin and I talked the other day and he agreed. So I think what's starting to get, not starting, what has frustrated people, specifically as we're going to start talking about here, parents, and there's different parent groups here, even Kevin Warren appears to look at this as a, a botched exercise of leadership and an unwillingness to simply turn it around and just say, okay, we're going to play. Things have changed. There's different medical things that have changed, things like the saliva test that wasn't available two weeks ago that has passed FDA approval since they made their vote. There's all kinds of outs, and yet there's this unwillingness, it seems like, on his part to basically do what every one of his constituents, outside of some presidents and chancellors who carry a lot of weight, but outside of them, everyone seems to want to move forward with this. Yeah, there was still time, I would say even maybe two weeks ago, that they could have reversed course and still stuck with the uh, schedule that was laid out, you know, five days before they canceled the season. Uh, that's gone now. I mean, there's no way they can start playing college football a week or two from now. So they would have to modify the schedule. But yeah, I still think there would be time to admit the mistake and get things going and just push the season start back towards the end of September. And I can guarantee you it would be met with more, you know, support than anything they're, they're doing right now. The two telltale quotes from Kevin Warren to me that have come out in, I don't know, last week or so, the one you just said where he admitted to Teddy Greenstein that it was botched, that communication was botched. So that's number one. The other one, and this one is even more insane, ridiculous to me, is when he said, I didn't think the reaction, or he basically gave the feeling of, I didn't think the reaction would be as bad as it is towards canceling the season. <laughs> that just absolutely boggles my mind that anybody in that position could feel like that. Boggles yeah. my mind. Talk about having absolutely no pulse on the situation, no pulse on your constituents, especially when he is the representative of the 14 athletic directors who were all highly supportive of playing a football season. I mean, and and they were on Zoom calls every single day over the course of the offseason. So he definitely knew what the perspective of those 14 were. Now, what we're starting to learn more of 
every day is the perspective of the parents. Nebraska's had a very active parents group. Uh, I believe Iowa's parents group was the first one to actually uh, write a letter and send it. I want to say it was maybe the Thursday, just two days after the initial announcement. So, I mean, there's been multiple groups involved here, but they're really starting to coordinate it under a, a hashtag Big Ten Parents United. And uh, they've been very active, very vocal. And just this morning, they sent a Big Ten Parents United letter to the Big Ten offices, including Kevin Warren, to all the presidents and chancellors. It laid out a number of what their issues are and what they want to see, but I'll just read you a couple of their quotes here from it. Number one is, our intention at this point is to provide a pathway forward to a successful 2020 Big Ten football season. Okay, so that's right there. There's the goal. They want to still be playing in 2020. Uh, They see the other Power Five conferences starting in later September, so I think they can see that we still have a month to get there, that it is possible. But I think this is the most, the damning one. They go candidly. At this point, the parent organizations have a total lack of confidence in your ability to lead and communicate effectively with all key stakeholders. Damn. I mean, that that says it right there. I have had communications with a couple Iowa parents. I'm going to leave their identities, you know, to them because I don't want to speak for them. But I can assure you that is exactly what they are feeling as well. Their goal mostly was transparency. Tell us why you made this decision. Now, of course, the, I don't want to call it an ulterior motive, but I don't know how else to explain it. Like, they also wanted to get the season back on, obviously. But at that point, it's start with the conversation. And the conversation they want to start with is, why did you do this in the first place? We want to talk about that. I felt like when that started happening, Iowa parents, Nebraska parents, Ohio State parents, Penn State, I mean, these were the most vocal teams. More have come on. I think we're up to 10 or 11 parents organizations now that have that have joined on. Once you saw that, then the media jumped in. Now, and I'll give Nebraska media credit. They were already in before that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then more and more media, whether it's local media, even some national media, which is crazy that it happens with the national media, they started joining in and saying, okay, this is ridiculous, this decision that was made, at least – they would take it as far as saying how it was handled has been horrible. Some take it even farther and say not only has it been handled horrible, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that is like a sea change that has happened with a lot of sports writers that I didn't think I would see, but that's the power that the players and their parents have, as do they. (laughs) These aren't the guys, you know, like – we should. We have been told that the players should have a voice. They 100% should have the voice. This is what their voice is saying. We saw that with the Justin Fields petition. 300,000 signatures that thing got up to pretty quick. Obviously, this is what the players, parents, and coaches want. It just blows my mind. I mean, it just continually blows my mind that Kevin Warren or the university presence. However, I'm still a little bit confused, you know, on exactly where the decision process has laid. But I'm glad you brought it up. They really did think that they knew the Pac-12 would follow suit. I'm sure there was conversations there. But they just thought that SEC, Pac-12, and Big 12 would just follow. I mean, that's that's really what they thought. Mm -hmm. And boy, in the business world, you better have all the information before you make a big decision or at, at the very least read the room. Yep. I don't think they did either. Like you said, I mean, he didn't read the room in terms of what the fans and the general Big Ten community would think because we've obviously 
fought back pretty fiercely about this. But yeah, exactly to that point, Nebraska right now, I think we tend to either get a lot of the blame or a lot of the credit, depending on you know whatever you're coming from. At the end of the day, the pushback doesn't happen unless you have the ACC and the Big 12 and the SEC stand their ground on that Tuesday two weeks ago. Without that, no petitioning from parents or Nebraska or Iowa parent groups or whatever it is, none of that matters. It's those other three conferences standing their ground and saying, we're going to play, including, by the way, Kevin Warren's son, as we all know, plays for Mississippi State. At some point, nothing makes sense. Why is the Big Ten the one that wanted to be the leader in this? I don't get what the outcome, what they thought was going to happen, other than they thought that everybody was just going to kowtow and quit with them. And I believe that's it. And, you know, as far as the actual reason behind it, we were told player safety. I think the general consensus is people don't buy that. They believe it's liability. Yep. And yeah, I mean, I do. I believe that they thought that the other three conferences, not just, by the way, it's not just those three conferences. There's a couple other group of five conferences that are still playing football as well. I heard on, it was either another podcast or radio show. I was, I can't keep it all straight, but like the SEC reached out to share their findings on the health, you know, risks, non-risks of COVID, the Big Ten wouldn't return calls. They wouldn't be a part of the conversation. Yes. And, and you hear that. And, of course, back in the day, six months ago, you know, two years ago, whatever, I would have never believed that because it was coming from an SEC source, and I don't trust the SEC, <laughs> right? But, I mean, if there's anything me and you share, hockey, it's the love of college football and hatred for the <laughs> SEC. We've, you know, made that well known. Yep. But in this case, when the SEC said, reached out to the Big Ten to share findings, they, they didn't get back to us. I believe it. Why? Because that's what we've seen out of the Kevin Warren-led Big Ten for the past six months, eight months. It's not just the past three weeks here. We commented on our podcast three months ago or so that we hadn't heard anything from Kevin Warren. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what the guy's voice sounded like three months ago. You would think when you're new into a gigantic position like that, one of your main goals would just be immediate PR, right? I've been in leadership roles for companies before. The first thing you try to do is get out and get to know the people that matter. In this case, the people that matter are the fans. I would have thought he would have gone on the network that is literally there at your disposal to be a PR wing of your conference and get out and let us get to know you. We didn't see anything from him up until he basically dropped the bomb on us. Yeah. And, you know, over the course of the last two weeks, we haven't heard a whole lot from him other than an announcement on Tuesday and a letter on Wednesday a week later that did nothing to clarify any of the issues. And from a pure PR standpoint, let's look at what happened over the last couple of weeks. Some of the cuts are starting to happen. Uh, at Iowa, four non-revenue sports have been cut. Nebraska, on the exact same day, uh, made the announcement that 51 jobs are being furloughed, 10% pay cuts across the board uh, for those that, that weren't being furloughed. Purdue has made the same statement with pay cuts and staff layoffs and furloughs. Ohio State yesterday mentions uh, $130 million that they're going to be down. That's one side of the, the PR thing, is that these decisions that are being made, here are the outcomes of it. There's real cuts, and it's not always hurting football, It's also hurting those sports that can't provide for themselves and what football has provided for in the past. Aside from that, there's also the PR of just the absurdities behind all this. Ohio State can't play football, but they have their sport rec league playing on campus. In Iowa, Iowa State can play football, but Iowa can't. 
in Pennsylvania last week. Uh, the high school sports season was cleared to play despite the governor wanting them to postpone it to January 2021. So in the state of Pennsylvania, high schools can play, colleges like Temple and Pitt can play, and the Steelers and Eagles can play, but the only one that can't is Penn State. At some point, I'm like, please just overturn it. Go back. Let's play football, and hopefully we'll get as much of this behind us. But, I mean, some of this is is this irreparable kind of damage being done to the conference? I'm just sitting here. I'm like, okay, take a deep breath. Because <laughs> I feel like I'm already screaming. One thing I want to point out. This is a little bit theory, but I don't think I'm crazy with this, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, talking about the finances that, that you you know, already got the conversation going. So, Iowa cut, swimming, a couple other things, you know, pay cuts. By the way, Ferentz took a pay cut months and months ago, okay, like right after coronavirus stuff came out. So he already took a pay cut, something that somebody like, I'm not going to name the writer, but he won't bring that up, but he'll still bring up, you know, any football coach's salary for this. But in the end, this is how I see it going down, is there is what I heard is a shortfall of $75 million to run the the athletic department from now to the end of the year, okay? So... I, I don't pretend to be a financial expert, but I'm very confident to say that there's not a ton of banks in the United States, maybe even world, that just give out $75 million loans, right? Not going to get that from the, you know, the Lincoln Credit Union, okay? Yeah, the Redcast so has been trying, to, yeah. <laughs> so you're going to have to go bigger to go find these types of things, Okay. So, and I'd also like to point out, it's not just Iowa. There's probably 10, 12 other teams in the conference that are going to have to secure these loans. Mm -hmm. So then once you get this loan, now you are running the athletic department off of the money you just borrowed. Maybe it's a 10 year loan. Maybe it's a 15 year loan. I don't know, but I bet you, you're going to be paying interest on that (laughs) loan. How much would that interest be per year? Again, I don't really know, but Let's say it's about, oh, I don't know, three and a half million dollars. So what do you do to run your athletic department quite a bit like you were doing before, but account for that three and a half million dollars that you now have to pay on interest? You cut swimming, this and that. Coaches take pay cuts to trim three and a half million dollars off your budget so you can go back to actually being athletic department. Mm. Monkey, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I came up with that on my own. How come I haven't read that? from the national media types that just want to talk about why it is that $3 million, it's not going to do anything. It's a drop in the bucket there. I just explained to you why that is an important thing to do, why it went down and why over top of all of this, making this decision was awful for these schools and in, in the conference. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons you haven't read it is because some of those national guys you're talking about, they're not the smartest people in the world either. I will name the guy Pat Forty. And I said it on the last show, and I'll say it again. The guy is a special kind of ass clown. He uh, he wrote a, a hit piece on Iowa yesterday. He's done more than enough on Nebraska as well. But these are his words. Fact is, football staff sizes are outrageous. Facilities are outrageous. Even funding 85 scholarships is difficult to justify. And salaries are outrageous. So that's Forty's attempt to this, is that let's attack football. It's football's fault. Now, at Nebraska, I can speak to Nebraska I think the revenue last year was $90, $95 million off of football, and I think they had about 30 or 35 in costs. So there was a profit of $60 million. Football paid for itself and paid for many other, well, every other program that wasn't paying for itself. Um, at the end of the school year, the athletic department had an extra $10 million that it gave 
back to the academic side. There's no student fees. There's no taxes that go into it. But it's easy to pick on football. Football can't be the victim in this. That's the one thing. You can't make football the victim because it's too big and there's too much money. And, oh, did you hear that Ference got a bonus last year? Stuart Mandel tweeted that out. That bonus that Ference last year could have run all these other programs. It's like, oh, my gosh. that's Which he already gave back with the pay Mm -hmm. decrease that he took earlier this year. But, you know, don't let facts get in the way of your story there. Absolutely. Well, when you're pushing narratives, and that's what we're hearing a lot of right now, think about the medical narrative. If you're pro-football... You must just not care about humanity. You must not care about the 175,000 people that have died. But, you know, we interviewed Steve Sippel, the Journal Star, a couple weeks ago, and he talked honestly about it's humane and there's a humanity behind caring about the people living right now. The business owners that have lost businesses, the people that have lost jobs and been furloughed. Look, this sucks for everyone. And yet, why can't we move forward with football? Why can't we move forward with sports? Some of the greatest innovations come from sports. You look at that saliva direct test, that came from the NBA and the NBA Players Association working with Yale so that they could develop a test, a faster, cheaper test that not only benefits sports, it benefits the NBA, but it's a game changer now for the general public. And that's something that's happened in the last couple of weeks. Like, if you have a narrative of, we don't want people getting getting sick with this thing, and that's it, so we have to shut everything down, then we don't take into account any of the advancements that are coming either. Spot on with all of that. You know, motivation is the mother of invention, right? Mm-hmm. And if you want to get the general public motivated, take sports away. This whole thing, this, you know, they paint people into the corner of, you know, if one life is saved, yada, yada, yada. Again, nobody wants to, to see anybody die in any capacity, but... That's not the only way deaths have happened through the coronavirus and through what we're, we're put in. We all have been shoved into this situation. None of us like it. But what we're ultimately talking about is nuance, okay? There, there is nuance here. Two things can be true at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's horrible that so many people have died from this, but it, it is also horrible if you disrupt lives further because of this. Both things can be true at the same time. We had to learn from this. I was definitely one of the people in in March and into April that was taking it very seriously. Not that I'm not now, but like taking it very seriously, staying locked in, doing whatever I could to flatten the curve, not overwhelm the hospitals, all of that stuff. We did learn a lot at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now we know this affects predominantly older people. And to be specific, Older people with underlying conditions, none of whom are playing college football. That's one thing. On top of that, even more so, what is actually safer for DiCaprio Boodle? What's safer for him is, and by the way, I have no knowledge of DiCaprio. This is the first Nebraska person that, that popped into my head, okay? Sure. What's safer for him is that he's on campus where he's getting checked all the time. He has motivation to stay safe so that he can focus on the football season. I firmly believe the best place for these guys to be is on campus in the complex. So then, of course, the next thing is, well, that's okay. They remain in the complex and able to work out. And at that point, you're like, if they're doing that anyways, why can't they play football? And I mean, we I just wound us around like, two or three different hypocritical things, but that's where we're at right now. That's why 
so many people are upset is because if you have the ability to decipher common sense, these are the things that you're looking at, and you know there's no plausible answer to it. Well, you know, two weeks ago, when the decisions were coming down, a big medical part of this was the myocarditis, the, the heart issues. But even since then, even in the last two weeks, multiple cardiologists, University of Michigan, the Phoenix Suns cardiologist, uh, there was a notable one down in, in Louisiana, they all have, have come out and made statements that that is no reason for the Big Ten to delay the season. Now, they could do it for other medical reasons, but if it's about myocarditis, that is not a concern. They can test for it. That's not something that should warrant this kind of decision-making. Coincidentally, just yesterday, I'm not going to name the guy, but I was eating lunch in a public spot, and I happened upon a conversation with a guy that was sitting near me, and we started talking about current thing, coronavirus. Come to find out, he's a doctor. So Mm -hmm. we wound up talking for almost an hour. We had finished our lunch you know, long before we kept talking. And in true in true Minnesota citizen form, he is not a college football fan. He's more of an outdoorsman. But again, this guy's a doctor. So I, I told him about the Big Ten football season getting shut down. He knew about that, but he didn't know that it was for what we've been told is myocarditis. And he kind of, you know, scrunched up his face and said, what do you mean? And I said, kind of explained it to him. And then I said, let me expunge my knowledge of myocarditis, and you tell me where I'm wrong. And I basically said, it happens with many different viral infections. Uh, myocarditis is an inflammation of the heart, should be taken seriously, but it's something that can last a matter of hours, a matter of weeks, whenever, and until it's properly treated. And he's like, well... That's pretty good, not completely accurate. And he said, you know, yes, it does happen with a lot of different viral things. That is 100% true. And he said, I will say this. We don't know exactly what the effect is on the heart specific to coronavirus because this is a novel virus. And I kind of cringed a little bit like, "Uh uh-oh, where is he going with this? He goes, But then he said, with that being said, we've never known what the effects are on the body for any kind of virus in the past. And we've never once shut down total countries, economies, (laughs) and college football conferences. What we need to do is figure out who's getting sick with this, pull them out of their everyday life, or in this case, competition, treat them for it. When they're healthy, they can go back to play. That's how myocarditis has been treated for years and years. Mm -hmm. That is me obviously paraphrasing what somebody that has a degree and is much more intelligent than me said. I mean, obviously sure. he said it much more articulate with medical terms, but that is essentially what he said. So even if myocarditis is the main thing, it still doesn't hold water with me and lots of other doctors that are now coming out saying it. Yes, it is serious. Yes, it is treatable. In fact, you could even turn it into a positive saying it's good that they're testing for this stuff in myocarditis because they could find heart issues with kids anyways so mm-hmm. again get them back on campus get them competing and let the medical people take over that's the reality of this right now is that the big 10 is by far the biggest research conference there is i mean the, the dollars and everything that come in for research and i just feel like we are missing such a huge opportunity to learn more about 
these diseases, not just during COVID, but post-COVID. There are so many opportunities to learn about how to handle an outbreak. Things like what are going on in Alabama right now, which were completely predictable. You know, where a bunch of students come back, they're going to party for the first couple of weeks. And yeah, they had some outbreaks and stuff. Okay, how do they respond to it? And what we don't need is an article written every single time people test positive on it. Okay, there's such a fatigue of every single case being publicized about somebody catches it. What are the important numbers? Is it hospitalizations? Is it deaths? Because those seem to be going down. And when we have things like the outbreaks in Alabama, how do universities respond to it? And what happens two weeks from now and three weeks from now? I actually think those uh, conferences, I'm going to go back on something I said about a month ago. When the ACC and those conferences were coming out with their schedules and they were starting in late September, I was like, why would you do that? Start in late August, you know, give yourself as many weeks as possible. But the reality is, is that I think it was really brilliant what they did. You're going to have some of the initial outbreaks and things that are going to happen for the first couple of weeks. Get through that. Let the numbers start to normalize. And I think things can look very different there. But when you just shut everything down, you lose every opportunity to learn. And it's interesting to hear from that doctor. There. I mean, they're saying the same thing. You were losing opportunities to learn when we don't even try. Bingo. And I would go so far as to say when the SEC and other conferences came out with the delayed schedule, and I agree with what the uh, conclusion that you came to as well, I don't think it's beyond crazy to think that Kevin Warren and his big ego wanted to stand out separately by having the, the, the season start earlier. It needed to look different. With that being said, I liked what they rolled out when they originally rolled out that first Wednesday in August. It had built-in bye weeks in case there's any issues. Mm -hmm. It was good, right? Yep. It was all about making, you know, this is us, not them type of deal. That's the feel I had for it. Another thing, when you know, talking about the coronavirus on the campuses and everything. When you hear about 380 students getting coronavirus out of 20,000, <laughs> that's not bad. So I that's, ran the numbers. That's one thing. That's one thing. The other side of it is we never hear about well, how many hospitalizations are happening out of this. Mm -hmm. I've never once in my entire life been hospitalized for a cold, which is what a coronavirus is. A, a coronavirus is a quote-unquote cold, okay? Yep. Because you don't get hospitalized for colds, typically speaking. You know, I'm a little bit younger and healthier, so maybe that has something to do with it, obviously, but that's the fact. So the overreaction to just the positive, you know, test case of getting coronavirus, that is a lot of where this has come from. Now, I know there's, you know, HIPAA laws that are out there that are not going to let universities throw out and say, you know, Ben Smith and Shelley Miller of, you know, whatever got are hospitalized with coronavirus. They can't let that be known. So that's obviously probably playing into it. But still, again, it's not just about the tests or the positive tests, about the hospitalizations. One more thing to add, along with what you brought up earlier about the saliva test coming out. Huge deal. Another thing is what the CDC came out with just Monday or Tuesday. They recommended that we stop testing asymptomatic people. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they see that there's no threat to them spreading it around basically just the general plight of coronavirus with asymptomatic people. There's no connection. Well, what is a gigantic collection of people that get coronavirus but are asymptomatic? Students. General students and these, you know, finely tuned athletes of which we're talking about. Again, these are all things that have come out just recently that 
would have been there for Kevin Warren and the Big Ten to use sure. had they stayed the course. And I, there would be so much momentum right now to start the Big Ten season next weekend. It would be incredible. I don't even think it would be up for debate at this point. Yeah. When they made the, the move and the Big Ten was the first one to go to the conference-only schedule and the other conferences followed, he got some of that ego going where it's like, well, look, I made that decision and everyone followed. So when I make this next one, they're all going to follow too. Obviously, that backfired on him. You know, when we talk about some of these numbers, I, I go down to Alabama and there's a, such a narrative and it's amazing how the media can write a, a headline a hundred different ways, right? And it looks a lot better to say we have 531 new cases in Alabama. But the reality is if you actually look at the numbers, all 29,938 students, they did entry tests to all of them. 310 out of those 29,938 came back positive for a total of 1.04%. And then they've had 531 new ones since then. So that's in addition. So that's a total of you know 841 out of 29,938 students for a positivity rate of 2.8%. And that's assuming that none of them have recovered because we don't always get recoveries, don't get pushed out there as much either, right? We just hear about total cases. But recoveries are a major part of this too. And I just feel like we've never had an honest discussion from the medical standpoint of what this virus is, what it does to you. Mac on our show, he has worked with COVID people a hundred times, 200 times. I mean, he's in the medical and medical field. He works with these people and he talks about it. He's been around it all the time. We've never had an honest discussion about that. And I guess as it pertains to football, I don't feel we've ever had an honest discussion why they shut it down. Yep. And it's not to say that this hasn't been horribly nasty for a number of people. I mean, obviously there's you know, a death toll that, yes. you know, we cringe when we see it. There's people that have survived that got hit hard, you know. Mm -hmm. That, again, but two things can happen at the same time. That is true, and that is awful, but yet there are way more people that barely even know they have it, or if they even know they have it at all. Also, on top of that, the ramifications of financial shutdowns. I mean, what this is going to do to the Lincoln community, to the Iowa City community, to the mm -hmm. Ann Arbor community, like this is real financial hardships that happen to people like this also have uh, physical issues that transpire because of that. It, it, th this isn't up for debate. This is going to happen. How it just just gets brushed aside or how it did get brushed aside, I should say, for so long was appalling. Now I feel like you've seen more national writers and local writers come around and actually, you know, write and talk about this again once they felt empowered to do that when the players and the and the parents were on board. Yeah. But it shouldn't have took that long because the snowball was rolling down the hill and all the wrong for all the wrong reasons too much at that point. If medically these other conferences, the high schools, the NFL, the doctors, if they can look at myocarditis, if they can look at you know, the testing for COVID, and they can all come to a conclusion that it is possible to play. If, if medical concerns aren't why the Big Ten did this, if liability and risk is so great, but Warren can allow his son to play in the SEC, if liability and risk aren't behind it, it starts to get to be something deeper and nastier. What could be behind why we would make this decision? Our friend Dustin Schutte with uh, Saturday Tradition, he's mm -hmm. been tweeting out the same thing. Like, you get this feeling that there's going to be a 
big bomb that's dropped sometime. Could be two weeks from now, three months from now, whatever, Mm -hmm. where we all of a sudden come to realize that there was a different reason for that. But again, that's all a conspiracy because that's what we're left with because we don't really know. Yeah. Um, And another thing I'd like to point out, this might be a little bit contradictory, but Powers Warren can play, you know, in the SEC for Mississippi State. I will say this. Kevin Warren does not oversee the SEC. So Mm -hmm. I do understand the thought process where people say, well, it's not Kevin Warren's fault that they're still playing in the SEC. He doesn't run the SEC. To be honest with you, if I'm trying to look at this as Switzerland as possible, I get it. That is a valid point. However, it loses water ultimately with me when you look at it like this. But Powers Warren was given the choice. He could choose at any point, just like any Big Ten athlete could at one point, do you want to play or not play? If he didn't want to play, all he had to do was sit out. Why isn't Justin Fields and Adrian Martinez and Amir Smith-Marset, why are they not given that choice? That, to me, is the ultimate, you know, question that Kevin Warren has never answered. Look, let's preface everything with, what a horrible first year to take over this job. I mean, uh, Obviously, yes. one yes. incredibly difficult position for him to be in. And I also think that the chancellors of the presidents that voted no, specifically the ones that voted no, they're not doing him any favors right now either. They're not coming to his support. And I think he's been put in a really bad position there. But, you know, it, it, go, it goes to a lot of things, though. I mean, when Athletic Director Moose said that 14, all 14 athletic directors wanted football, he made a point to say four athletic directors in particular, really pushed for it. And it just so happens to be Nebraska, Ohio State, Penn State, and he said Michigan. And Michigan, whether yeah. it's right or wrong, I, I don't... I, I'm sorry, but I can say for a fact, I, I know Gary Barta was pushing hard. I sure. know Bruce Harrell, the president of Iowa, was pushing hard. I know that for mm-hmm. a fact. And I guess all he was saying is from the AD perspective, those are the calls obviously he was on because he, he couldn't have contact with the, the chancellors and president's group. But... He, he highlighted those four, okay? Right or wrong, he highlighted those four. And when you go to Michigan right now, and we try to keep politics off of this show. We don't talk about it. The Redcast goes from the far left to the far right amongst amongst our group of guys, okay? It has nothing to do with the politics of it. But what I will say is I've heard more and more about governors getting involved in certain cases. And if you have an athletic director who is one of the biggest supporters of playing, but it's not happening because... You have other leaders above that. There's a disconnect there. That's the one thing I'd say about Nebraska and about Iowa right now. I haven't seen any disconnect at any point through any of the leadership with those two schools. And I think there's a couple others that are on the same wavelength. But this goes back to that transparency. If these parents, even if they can't get football to be played, I'm holding out hope still. I still think that they can. I think that enough pressure can be applied. But if they can't get football to be played this fall, just them getting the documents out there. Any of the, the votes out there, that puts pressure on those leaders because those some of those leaders, I don't think, want to have those votes out there. Yeah, and that's something we just talked about on that podcast as well. I mean, I said this as a joke, but unfortunately, it's accurate. I've been a part of fantasy football leagues, right, mm-hmm. where, um, uh, you know, fumbles are worth negative five. Dude, that's too much. Let's just make them worth negative two. You literally take a vote, and if you got 12 teams in the league, you got to have seven people that vote yes before it's a motion is passed. Everybody knows who voted on what, and then, you know, fumbles are worth less. We didn't even get that. 
for shutting down the Big Ten football conference sure. for entire fall. That is crazy to me. Do you know how much to vote for something that's monumental when you don't have to have your name attached to it? Sure. That is bonkers to me that it didn't go down like that. And of course, again, it's it was you know only two teams voted to stay. Well, actually, it was six to eight. Well, actually, we never really took a vote. Again, this yep. all adds into this you know confluence of stuff that has happened that we still can't ever ever fathom. Another thing to kind of add on to what you said, I do agree. There is a possibility. I mean, there's for sure Kevin Warren was put in a tough spot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there still is a possibility that he is taking the grenade, so to speak, for these presidents. Okay, I, that is, I, you have to entertain the idea that that's the truth. You also have to entertain the idea that it is possible that the Big 12 ACC, SEC are going to get going and only two weeks in they're going to have to cancel the season. If that happens, I think Kevin Warren will looking like he's correct with this. Okay. But if that's the reason why Kevin Warren and these presidents are holding firm, because they're betting on the long term that they're going to wind up being correct. That is awful because you're not betting on what's best for the student athletes. You're betting on what's best for you. And that's not what that position is about. Your position is about what's best for them. Take yourself out of this. Take yourself aside and do what's best. Because I cannot understand how playing football indoors in January or February, March, whatever it is, four months from now, five months from now, is healthier and safer for these kids than playing football outdoors now. I can't come to terms with that. Maybe more information comes out that changes my mind, but right now I can't see it. On top of that, having them play a violent sport, it's not a it, it's a tough sport on the body. I think we can we, we all can sure. agree on that. To then turn around and play another season later that year, also, I mean, it's just so hypocritical that they're using player safety with that but then they're selling us that. Yeah, I, I just kind of went off on a bunch of stuff there, but it's all things that have to be discussed when you're getting in this conversation. And it doesn't seem like the discussion's been had. And, you know, there's a lot of what-ifs. What what will COVID do to somebody 30 years from now? Well, I, I don't know the answer to that, but we also know that football does things to, to every athlete 10 and 20 and 30 years later. There's ones that – there are athletes that have trouble walking. We have the concussions and, and the CTE. I mean, there's – ramifications of playing any sport and football in particular and uh, COVID is just one more thing that you add into it but it's not something to prevent you from playing it a comparison I like to use okay do you know how many people die in the United States every year on construction sites by either falls or dropped objects you have any idea how many I'll say 10,000 I don't know whoa okay 600 people <laughs> okay. die a year. That's, 10,000 would be that's a lot. Um, <laughs> 600 people die a year. Okay? okay. How many of those people had a gun up to their head and said, you have to go do what you're doing today? Zero. They have made that choice to go do construction. Mm-hmm. They knew the risks of working at heights to do that. Is it the exact same as football? No. But kind of is. I played college football at Iowa. So did my older brother. So did my middle brother 
at a different college, okay? We knew the risks. We, we knew that you could get hurt on any play, but you love it, and you're willing to take on the risk. That's called personal choice. That personal choice was taken away, again, from these athletes when it came to what Kevin Warren and these presidents decided. And then an email I saw today that came from uh, Out of Bounds with Andy Witchery. It was on Twitter and everything. He included some of the, the emails that corresponded between Nebraska and the Big Ten office. And one of them was from President Carter. And in his last statement that he gave in this email to Kevin Warren was, you did tell me and Ronnie, and Ronnie is Chancellor Green, that you work for us. From all of us here at the University of Nebraska system, we are still supportive of a fall schedule to include football. That's August 10th. That's Monday, August 10th. And so, yeah, he has a lot of different voices in his, in his ears, but one of them is this. And, and I'm sure he was hearing the same thing from Iowa. And there wasn't consensus. That's the big thing. And that goes all the way back to the transparency of this is that we went through a good week of where we couldn't even tell if there was a vote. There was, there wasn't. It was consensus. It wasn't consensus. And at the end of the day, that's what's led to a lack of confidence in the leadership from him, from the parents, these schools, certainly, the fan bases. I mean, I do feel for Warren in the sense that he got into a tough situation here, but how he's handled it, man, I mean, it was bound to come back on him the way it has. Yes, and the lack of just situational awareness, I don't even know how to say it, Yep. of not understanding that's how it was going to go. It is, it's quite baffling to me. I mean, people that grew up in Iowa and grew up in Nebraska, people that grew up in the South, Ohio, whatever. College football is in our blood, right? It, it is in your blood by by the time you're probably six or seven years old. But it's not like that everywhere. Two places that it's not like that are Arizona, I think it's fair to say, yep. and Minnesota. These are more pro sports areas, right? Well, guess where Kevin Warren has spent most of his life? Arizona and Minnesota. I am mm-hmm. literally sitting here wondering if he really even grasped how big of a deal Big Ten football is to Big Ten football fans in these geographical areas. And if that's the case, if I'm right, this is, again, tinfoil hat conspiracy theory to a little bit, but if that's the case, how he ever got the job in the first place is mind-boggling to me. I didn't know what to say. One thing, you know, to try to spin positivity out of this is, as an Iowa fan, I feel like Iowa and Nebraska fans are about as, about as chummy as, it, as I could ever imagine it, it would, they would be, to the point where my brother and I, you know, another huge Hawkeye fan, we basically said Nebraska and Iowa fans are basically looking like two sides of the same coin right now, you know, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Definitely have supported what Coach Frost has said, and I will say this from a obviously non-Nebraska point of view, how he got drugged through the mud by Pat Forty and the other guys out there, ESPN talkers. He said three or four different times they want to play this fall in the Big Ten. We want to be in the Big Ten. You know, he, he said that, and then he just said what every Nebraska fan and his players want, which is, with that being said, we're going to look at all the options we can to play football this fall. He got absolutely drugged through the mud with that. You know, that was, that was ridiculous. Um, yes. Ryan day came out and said the same thing after that. Harbaugh said stuff through statements. Coach Ferentz had stuff through. There was other, a lot of other coaches that came out through statements. They weren't drugged through the mud 
as bad. And it was unfair to Frost. Mm-hmm. Um, other ADs have come out. Now, I will say Bill Moose is the most boisterous of the <laughs> ADs. <laughs> I mean, other ADs are essentially saying what Bill Moose is saying, just not as, you know, loudly as Bill Moose. But, hey, Bill Moose is going to be Bill Moose. So, you know, let him let him do what he wants to do. Um, but that, that all that stuff, and again, that that just adds to the garbage pile of people not liking what they're being told when it's obviously coming from a point of misinformation than actually people doing their jobs and, you know, looking at this thing full circle. It's, it's extremely frustrating. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, as, as we wrap this up, I am hopeful still. We, we have a, a poll out there right now on Twitter that asks the Redcasters, what do you think is most likely to happen in the next month? And we've had over 800 votes so far, and 20% say the Big Ten reconsiders fall football. 19% say the ACC, Big 12, SEC will cancel it. And 61% say no changes either way. As I look at that, number one and number three there, Big Ten reconsidering fall football and no changes either way, those are basically in some ways the same thing in the sense that those people believe that there is going to be fall football one way or the other, whether the Big Ten's involved or not. And all I can think of is that the pressure that is on Kevin Warren and those chancellors and presidents who have voted no, the pressure on them right now, this is August, imagine what that pressure looks like a month from now if no changes are made and you're turning on ESPN and there's commercials for the for the big game, Alabama against somebody this weekend, and you know that we're not part of it. The top 25 came out this week, and there's Ohio State sitting at number two, and there's five other Big Ten teams in that top 25 with them. Imagine the pressure that mounts. This isn't going away. So I do, honestly, at the bottom of my gut here and everything that these parents groups are doing, it matters. I don't think this is over. I think there is a chance for fall football still. It has to happen soon, but they are doing the right things. And there is enough of, from a PR standpoint, the Big Ten is losing this battle. Well, there's that uh, Husker positivity spin (laughs) that we're used to seeing. Um, In this case, I'm on, I'm cheering for you. Um, I'm cheering for the 39% of Nebraska fans that somewhat agree with what you just said. Um, But my realistic part of my brain is not accepting it. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm already, you know, coming to terms with the fact that the only version of college football I'm going to get to watch and, you know, place monetary value on this fall is in the conferences that we're mostly talking about. I do think it's going to happen for them. That's I'm just coming to terms with that. Uh, The other thing is I'm trying as much as possible to look at the other two positives if they are is that this is probably the most community felt togetherness that we've had in the big 10 conference so that's been kind of cool um and then if this goes down like they're saying okay which is this is going to shift to being a i mean let's not call it spring it's a winter right it's a winter spring season um do i think it will happen i very lightly air towards yes i think it's going to get pulled off i will say this i'm fully convinced that they're going to try to make it happen okay like mm-hmm. fully convinced they're going to try to make it happen that doesn't mean that it's going to happen but they're going to try there could be worse things than getting to watch college football all fall and then a little bit of break and watching it in the winter and spring okay there could sure. be worse things about that 
Minneapolis has been rumored to be a spot where there's multiple games a weekend. Got to say, that kind of excites me. So if that's how it goes down, I'm mostly nervous about exactly how they're going to figure out the eligibility thing, which is I wouldn't put it past somebody like, and I don't mean to use this as, because I know he's an Iowa player, but Amir Smith-Marset, okay? He is a guy that caught fire for as far as being an NFL prospect towards the end of 2019. He needs that 2020 season to help him get drafted, maybe even move up the draft board. Obviously, you could probably come up with several guys for the Nebraska team that, that are the exact same way. Sure. So those guys, right, that are seniors, and they don't have to be seniors, they could be juniors, I am very interested to see what decision do they make. Do they say, I don't like how this is looking for what the season feels like for this February, March season. I'm going to go ahead and wait and play in the fall. Or are they going to say, I want to be done with this. I'm ready to get on. Let's just go ahead and play. We have no idea yet how that is going to play out. We have no idea if these coaches are going to have 95 players pick from or, you know, like, and obviously that's scholarship plus, plus walk-ons or if they're going to have 65, which makes a gigantic difference for depth, you know, like sure. we have no idea yet how that's going to go down. We haven't got there. Yeah. There was even something I was reading yesterday where Nebraska, because we've had the transition of just a couple years ago, we're a particularly young team. And if everyone regains their year of eligibility, a year from now, we could have anywhere between like 55 and 60 freshmen or redshirt freshmen on our team alone. So, yeah, the, I think the eligibility questions, and I've heard AD say that this could take three and four years to get figured out. So those are all very legitimate concerns and legitimate questions. I think at the end of the day, all of the, the dollars and cents that we've talked about earlier, all of the intentions of the parent groups and the players wanting to play uh, there's going to be a, a tremendous amount of pressure, obviously, to, to at least get a winter season in. It looks like they're talking about seven or eight games. I'm not a betting guy, so I'm not going to put money down on it. But I, I'm holding out hope. Maybe that is. Maybe it is that Husker fan in me just against all odds here. I, I really hope these parents groups can do something to move the needle and we continue to just apply pressure on those presidents and chancellors that voted no and on, on Commissioner Warren. Well, you know, Jeffrey, what are your parting shots? Again, thanks for having me on the uh, podcast. Um, over the past couple of weeks, I've picked up a, a ton of followers on Twitter that are a lot of them are Nebraska fans. So I just want to say a shout out to those people. I appreciate that. Um, as much frustration as I've shared, you know, that probably both of us have shared on this podcast. I still love Big Ten football, okay? Um, it's still in my DNA. You, you can't you can't break up with somebody uh, at the first sign of trouble. So I'm, I'm still going to be there for the conference mm-hmm. when this all unfolds. But I also think, you know, it, it doesn't make me a, a bad person or you or anybody else when we get frustrated. That's how we're humans. That's how we show our emotion. Sometimes, maybe maybe too often if you look around, you know, the world right now. But hopefully in the end, this all comes together. Stay positive overall, you know, and hopefully we get to see some pads cracking here soon enough. Well, thanks, Jeffrey the Greek. Uh, the show is Eyes on Big. He and his partner, Big Kurt, uh, just to give a plug to the Husker Fan Podcast. I saw that Big Kurt was on it 
this morning. So uh, listen to those guys too. We love what, what Mike and Justin are doing over there. But yeah, listen, follow them, eyes on big. And uh, thank you, Jeffrey the Greek. Thanks again. Really appreciate being on the show. And we will talk to you soon, Hockey. 